make sure to go to TimCast.com, click join us and become a member to support this podcast and all the work we do. And you'll get access to exclusive uncensored segments from TimCast IRL and way more. Now, let's jump into the first story. UFC is now facing calls for a boycott after accepting a record-breaking $100 million deal from Bud Light. And ooh, this one pains my heart. I am not the biggest UFC guy, the biggest MMA guy, but uh, I do enjoy it quite a bit. Uh, we've had several different MMA fighters on the show. We, we plan to have more on in the future. And uh, typically, we're, uh, you know, we here at Tim Cast and many of our friends, we're, we're, we're big fans uh, of UFC. But signing this deal with Bud Light is like spinning in my face, spinning in your face. Now, there's a lot of people, uh, we, we talked about this last night on TimCast IRL, when the news broke, we're now seeing calls for a boycott and the reaction, which I think is, a, is getting really interesting. Uh, we had Cash Patel on the show, who in real time was like, I'll text some fighters and see what they're saying. And they're pissed. They're pissed. A, a couple people super chatted us and said, oh, it doesn't matter, dude. I'm going to keep watching UFC. I don't care if Bud Light's on the floor or not. Let them take the money all the way to the bank. Some people are saying this could help fighters get paid more money. I really don't think so. I don't think uh, you're going to see fighters get paid more money from this. That's going to be based on like ticket sales and stuff, but perhaps, perhaps. But the issue now is, look, I like UFC. My friends hit me up and say like, hey, the fight's on tonight. It's like, oh, cool. Like, you know, uh, Saturday night or something, we'll go out and the, the fight will be on and we're watching. Uh, I remember we were, uh, I can't remember, I can't remember where, where we were. We all watched the fight. Uh, we ordered a bunch of tacos and burritos and guacamole, and we had uh, uh, the, one, one of the fights on. It's just a fun time. It's a fun time. I, I, can't, I can't tell you a whole bunch of fighters. I can only tell you the ones that like I've met and we've had on TimCast IRL. But Dana White of UFC announced that UFC would be partnering with Bud Light to the tune of $100 million because they share core values. And there's so much here that's insulting to a lot of people. We're actually seeing tons of people call for a boycott. Now, I don't think this is going to be very, very strong. I don't... I don't want to stop watching UFC. I don't, I don't watch it religiously, but like when the fight is on and my friends want to watch, like we're going to watch it. But this is a tough one because Bud Light not only refuses to apologize for the Dylan Mulvaney fiasco, has since doubled down and began providing or maintained providing funding for many lewd and lascivious public events. Now, by all means, you want to argue uh, there's this wholesome leftist fake argument about pride parades being just like celebrations of who they are and who they love. You know, if that was all it was, I'd say fine. But this is a lie. And this is what the left does. They lie. Sorry, I'm not saying the right never lies. I'm just saying like, hey, man, if a story comes out and it's from the left, just assume it's a lie. Remember, remember, uh, don't say gay in Florida. Total lie. Might as well call the bill. Don't say straight because the bill in Florida would prevent teachers from talking about heterosexual couples. It was just don't have sex ed for kids third grade and younger, and parents must be allowed to to know what their kids are being taught. But since I was a little kid, and I've known this since I was like 10 or 11, pride events are so uh, obscene. I mean that in a literal sense, like nudity and stuff. I'm not saying like in in an emotional insult kind of way. Like, no, no, literally people are engaged in obscenity as per defined by, by law. My mom wouldn't let me go out. She, 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 no, you can't go out during the pride event. Why? There's a bunch of naked people engaging in gratuitous behavior and sex acts. And I'm like, I thought it was about love. That's what I was told. Apparently it wasn't. It was a, it's, it's about something 
completely different. It's a it's 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 about gratuitous sexual activity. And so Bud Light sponsoring that when uh, uh, there was a, a, a Yingling sponsored venue that had an all ages drag show within like a day, Yingling came out and said, we talked to the venue. We they, they assured us this event is now going to be 18 and up only. We sponsored the, the venue, not the event. It was no problem. For Yingling to be like, uh, if those aren't familiar with Yingling, it's an East Coast beer, hugely popular out here. I mean, uh, I don't, I'm not a beer drinker, but it's 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 probably my favorite. If I was going to drink a beer, I used to be a Blue Moon guy, but uh, Yingling is just like the go-to when you're out here. Everybody wants it on the West Coast, but uh, but yeah, they had no problem, no problem. Let, let me let me read the news. Let's go through this. I'll show you some of the reaction. On Tuesday, Bud Light's parent company Anheuser Busch and UFC, an American uh, MMA organization that holds more than 40 live events annually around the world, announced a new multi-year marketing partnership, according to an online statement shared by the beer maker. Starting January 1st, Anheuser-Busch will become the exclusive official beer partner of UFC. And as part of the partnership, Bud Light will become the official beer in the U.S., according to the statement. Here's where it comes. Where's this tweet at? All right. I want to tell you what this is all about. It's, it's, it's right here. This is Donald Trump at UFC. All right, uh, I, you know, and, and Donald Trump coming out at, at UFC to the entirety of the, of the arena, screaming and cheering. You hear this? These people are going nuts for DJT. Cash Patel says. This is nuts. Man. Look at this. Donald Trump shows up with Kid Rock and Dana White, UFC 287. And this was April 9th, and everybody goes wild, screaming and cheering. Cash Patel goes on the show last night, you think Donald Trump's going to walk out with Dana White and a Bud Light in his hand? No way, dude. Now, I do think it's funny. If Donald Trump came out and drank a Bud Light, that might actually help the brand. I mean, I feel like if there's anything that could help Bud Light, it's Donald Trump saying, you know what? I'm going to drink a Bud Light. And a lot of people are going to be like, OK, all right, we're going to give him another chance. But uh, I still think a lot of people are going to be like, no way. This is what the left doesn't understand about Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a leader with a large fan base. But these people on the left have never been to a Trump rally nor watched one because Donald Trump comes out and he says something and they boo him. He was talking about vaccines. They boo him. These people are like, it's a cult. I'm like, oh, yeah, show me the cult leader who gets booed at his rally. No, it's that people like and trust Donald Trump, but they have no problem criticizing him when he should be. Now, don't get me wrong. There are culty Trump followers, uh, Trump supporters. Let's read more. Well, the terms were not disclosed publicly. ESPN reported that it was the biggest brand sponsorship, uh, biggest sponsorship deal in UFC history. Critics were especially enraged that the deal means the Bud Light brand, which will replace Modelo will have a heavy presence in all of the MMA organization's content. The news of the deal triggered a quick backlash for UFC and reignited boycott calls for the Brewer. Several celebrities, including Kid Rock, John Rich, Travis Titt, Tritt, sorry, uh, uh, joined the mounting right-wing boycott calls that led to a drop in sales. This we know, this we know. So we have this from Robbie Starbuck. He says, Bud Light is paying $100 million to be the official beer of UFC. And you know what? Lighting that money on fire would have been less embarrassing than what's about to happen. Fighters are going to hate this. Fans will hate it. The customers aren't coming back, Bud Light, period. You made your bed with men who think they're women. Now sleep in it. I get that Dana thinks he has 
He has to take the easy money. But this damages the UFC brand and puts his fighters in bad spots where they will speak out against it. Watch embarrassment awaits. Sure. Dana White knows this. Here's what I'm thinking. Dana White's attitude is probably like $100 million. Ooh, <laughs> it's a lot of zeros, baby. And in, in the deal, uh, let, me, let me see if we have the we have the quote from uh, from uh, Dana White. Let me see if I can pull this one up. Yeah, their core values align. Let me get the, he says, quote, there are many reasons why I chose to go with Anheuser-Busch and Bud Light. Most importantly, because I feel we are very aligned when it comes to our core values and what the UFC brand stands for. And what does it stand for? And what are those values? Monetary values, baby. A bunch of zeros. That's what it's all about. And $100 million, that is a lot of zeros. So here's what he's probably thinking. I don't care about Bud Light. They're going to they're, they're gonna, they're gonna give me $100 million. Fine, whatever. We'll slap their logo on whatever they want. I'm not involved in politics. I don't care. You think, I'm really curious, right? This is a bold play by Anheuser-Busch, and it was probably their only move, $100 million to rescue their brand. Well, the brand is still falling. As of September, sales are still down and continuing to decline. And everyone's trying to make excuses for why that is. You've got uh, analysts being like, well, it's not because of the boycott. It's not politics. It's because uh, the beer tastes bad. It's like, well, it does taste bad. (laughs) Come on, dude. Bud Light is not a beer you drink when you're looking for a good, legitimate beer. Okay, like Yingling, I think tastes good. Bud Light tastes like nothing. Bud Light is what you drink. What, what, what is it? Someone super chatted this. They said Bud Light is, is what you're trying to drink, uh, is what you drink when you, uh, you don't want to drink beer, but you want to drink a lot of it. <laughs> you don't want to drink beer, but you want to drink a lot. Yeah, you're trying to get drunk. All right, that's it. So the idea here is Dana White's probably thinking, I'm going to make $100 million off this deal. I don't care what anybody says. You, for $100 million, you can, you can say whatever you want about me. Sure. But times, they are a change in, man. It's, it's, I, it's, it's not even so much about are people going to care or not. It's where do we end up in five years? What does this mean for Bud Light? So the issue is this. Dana doesn't care. People are going to watch UFC. I, I really don't see, and I, and I think this is true too. I don't see people being like, I'm not going to watch UFC because Bud Light sponsored them. What you're going to see is the fighters spitting on the logo or mocking Bud Light, flicking off the logo. You're going to you're going to see like press conferences. They're going to be like F Bud Light. Don't buy it. What Bud Light did may be one of the most damaging things they could have done. They wanted to enter an arena where they could get their manliness back because they gave it away. Oh, they tried this. They tried Harley Davidson. Remember that? That's right. Where we, we got this one. Look at but this is from June. Budweiser ad touting Harley Davidson mark, marked cans mocked, mocked. And now literally we are hours. It's been like, thir- was it 14 hours since the news broke that UFC did this deal? And already there are people on Twitter saying boycott, boycott, boycott. All Bud Light did was put themselves in the line of fire once again. They should have just shut up. Bud Light, become the garbage beer you are meant to be. Say nothing, shut up, and let people who don't care buy your beer. But you keep trying to jump into the political fray. UFC fighters, out of any sport, probably have the highest percentage of people who are speaking out and telling woke BS to shove off. You know what it is? I wonder if it's the raging testosterone. Man, I met a lot of UFC fighters in my day. I don't know, I don't know, a lot, maybe like five or six. And what I find is, 
when you have a dude who is immensely strong and knows he could beat the crap out of you, people who have been in serious fights, and uh, it's not just UFC fighters, people who've been in, com- in, in combat and conflict, man, they brush off all this stuff. I saw a video posted earlier of this woman being like, I work, I'm working my first nine to five and it's just like, I don't even get home and like by till six. And it's just like this crying. Yo, this is the thing. When you've experienced hardship, conflict, chaos, etc., these little things, they make you laugh, right? And so this is why I think you get a lot of UFC fighters who are going to speak out and say, screw you. Some people have pointed out they actually don't make that much money, so there's not much you can take away from them. Some are saying they get like 50K per fight or something like that, and they might only fight once a year if they do. And it's like, okay. I mean, the big name fighters get a lot of money. But yeah, it's not, it's not like you're getting a ton of money all the time. So maybe that's another big reason why they don't say a lot. Or I'm sorry, uh, uh, they, they, they do speak out because they don't make a lot. Now, I don't know how much the average UFC fighter makes, but I think it actually has more to do with the fact that uh, they are very strong men. The, um, the, the, the determination that is required to become a, a, an MMA fighter, even if you're not even the best, to face down, to fight in the ring, to get in shape, to work that hard, that is determination. And it is that reason why I think so many MMA fighters speak out and speak up. Here we go. We got this from uh, Brian Krasenstein. He says, Bud Light returns to the official beer of the UFC. This is a liberal guy. I never understood the outrage. A company that tries to be open to people of all beliefs, ideologies, and demographics epitomizes the freedom of capitalism. You don't have to agree with who they target. Their goal isn't to just target people who hold the same values as yourself. Wake up and realize that this world doesn't revolve around you and your own ideologies. See, you know, I think the Krasensteins have proven that they just say whatever they, they, should, they need to say to make money on, on X, right? They just, oh, I don't get it. Really? After 10 years of far leftists, woke uh, leftists, critical gender theory and race theory, getting people fired from their jobs, get, forcing companies to drop certain product lines or pick up certain product lines. You don't get it. It's really simple. The average person who drinks Bud Light despises what the woke left does. So when Bud Light decides they're going to embrace it, you get a backlash. People are sick and tired of being told if they say certain words, they're fired from their job. And so when Bud Light says we will align with this group, I'll tell you this. A lot of brands, a lot of brands get woke, go broke. But the go broke part, you know, it's not it's sometimes not even so pronounced. Victoria's Secret recently, they announced that they're bringing back the angels because in 2021, they said we're getting rid of the angels. No more sexy ladies. We're going to do morbidly obese women and female athletes. Surprise, surprise, sales dropped by around 6%. Six. Now, maybe it's because of this. Maybe it's not. I think it is. A lot of big brands don't have strong ideological bent uh, 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 or their their base is not that, you know, political. So Victoria's Secret, most people don't care. But 6% were like, this is gross and ugly and I don't want this. You know, I think the issue with Victoria's Secret is that you have a lot of women who are looking at the angels being like, I want to look like that for my husband or boyfriend or whatever, or maybe even other women. They want to be impressive and they want to feel good. They want to feel like the best, the most attractive. You put a bunch of frumpy, unattractive women in the ads, and there's a lot of women who are going to be like, I don't want to look like that. I don't want to be that. And the sales slump. For Bud Light, you have a lot of rural conservative types 
who are drinking these beers. Are they drinking Bud Light in New York? I mean, sure, of course. But a lot of these hipsters are doing the micro brew and stuff like this, or they're having like cocktails or whatever. It is the trope, I would say. And I think it's proven by the sales that you got regular conservative type individuals who grab, you know, a 12 or 24 Bud Light and hang out and have a drink. And then Bud Light decided to get woke. And so what, what happened? They lost 30% of their market because their market leaned conservative and rural uh, to, to, to that degree. How, how are Bud Light sales faring six months since the boycott? Surprise, surprise, an article from one month ago shows that Bud Light was still suffering. 30% slump and still down. Harry Schumacher of Beer Business Daily said that the figures, the latest figures showed the decline in Bud Light sales has become quasi-permanent. But hold on. They just sponsored Harley Davidson. That's manly. You see what they tried to do? They were like, let's sponsor Harley and do Harley cans. And then what happened was everybody made fun of Harley Davidson. UFC has just... (laughs) It's so cringe, dude. You know what, man? Oh, yeah. So it's it's so amazing. Everybody's got their price, right? The Hill writes, uh, this is from um, uh, October 21st, only a few days ago. This is before the UFC deals announced. Bud Light is still sinking. Here's why. And they're like, it's not because of the boycott. It's a mediocre offering with, they say it's the sixth. Uh, uh, it was it, among eight beers tested. It came in sixth place. Below average customer satisfaction. Decision making that underestimated customer diversity, egocentric decisions. And uh, that is specifically about Mulvaney. But come on, bro. Bud Light took a hit when they decided to do the Dylan Mulvaney ad. UFC is going to get hit as well. Is Donald Trump going to want to walk out to Bud Light? Oof. Now, what may happen is Trump points at it, laughs, and everyone starts laughing and booing Bud Light. And then Trump starts laughing and clap. This is an anti-ad campaign. And if that's the case, you think Dana White cares? He's laughing, being like, I know what's going to happen. I wonder if he even told him. I bet he talked to Bud, to Bud Light Anheuser and was like, you know what's going to happen. You are going to get humiliated. You will be mocked. The fighters will insult you. The crowds will boo. And they're like, we have to do it. We have to do it. These people are so stupid. But Bud Light, please listen to me. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Right now, Bud Light, here's what we'll do. You, you Anheuser-Busch, you hit me up and, and, and you ask me to consult and I'll do it for free. I don't want your money. I don't want your money. I'll consult you for free right now. Apologize apologize, apologize, apologize first for the Dylan Mulvaney campaign, which you never did, probably too late at this point, then stop funding pride events, announce you've done it, because here's the funny thing, a bunch of gay bars in Chicago announced they would no longer carry Bud Light because Bud Light wouldn't support them enough, and there was a boycott from the left, and they're like, what do we do? Everyone's mad at us. Well, who's your biggest market share? If you're going to spend $100 million on UFC, a crowd that stands and give Donald, gives Donald Trump a standing ovation, then you might as well just apologize. That's my advice to you. But let's, let's, let's talk about conviction, conviction. I'm going to throw this in at the end. In a broader stroke, Andrew Clavin says, I'll discuss my friend Jenna Ellis Esquire on Friday's show. But let me say now, I'm charmed by those who imagine themselves as heroic martyrs in Jenna's situation, as I'm charmed when I see little boys wearing their blankies and capes and pretending to beat up the bad guys. I find that to be uh, cringe. Ooh, cringe. Andrew Clavin, big fan. 
Uh, this one, this ain't it. That's what they say, right? This ain't it. Let me tell you. If Bud Light came to me and offered me $100 million to put a Bud Light logo behind me on every show, I'm going to say no. I know. And now there's people saying, what an idiot. You're so stupid, Tim. Take the $100 million just for the Bud Light logo. Are you crazy? Let me just start by saying first, we do I here at TimCast. And I've explained this as it pertains to like Jenna Ellis and to UFC. We talked about the politicians, the people in Congress who want to get rich, Nancy Pelosi's net worth. I will tell you this. In my mind, I genuinely do not understand the desire to make so much money. And, and, and I will explain this to you guys. Not everybody's rich. That's the point. People who are rich, few and far between. There comes a point where you have so much money, it is hard to keep track of and you don't even know what it's doing. And, I, and I'm not trying to be a dick or humble brag. This is a reality for people who are very, very wealthy. You start uh, investing. You have to invest. You can't just have cash. And it's something I've explained a long time ago. Why buy like a fancy car? I always saw this when I was younger. I was like, well, I, would, I would never buy a house like that. That's crazy. You don't need a house that big. And then it's like, oh, you can't just sit on cash. Inflation. It, it, it's just it's you're, you're 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 losing buying power. So you need to buy things to retain value in other ways. Then you need to hire people to manage those investments and retain those. And it's just like at a certain point, it's not changing anything about my life. It's not making my life more comfortable. It's not helping my friends or my family. You know, like I've taken care of my friends and my family. And I'm at the point where if Bud Light offered me $100 million, I'd be like, for what? For what would I do with $100 million? L serious. I'm doing what I want to do. I'm doing the work that I want to do. Mark Zuckerberg would ask, would he ever sell Facebook? And he was like, why? I just make another social media platform. What's the point? And that's the thing. People are like, everybody's got their number. Some people got their number, man. For Dana White's $100 million. I don't understand what Dana White's going to do with that money. Maybe he pays the fighters. And that's a cool thing to do that I can respect. He comes out and says, guys, I'm taking this money from Bud Light and I'm, I'm distributing among all the fighters. I don't need any more money. I'm rich. But the fighters are going to get are going to get paid more every year that Bud Light logo is on, on, on the floor. And people are going to be like, OK, that's kind of based. That's kind of based. But instead, he came out and said, we share our core values. What Andrew Clavin is saying about Jenna Ellis, charmed by those who imagine themselves as heroic martyrs. OK, you know, I, I made the joke the other day. I'm not a coward. I've just never been tested. I'd like to think that if I was, I would pass. It's a line from the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. I have been tested, not to the degree that Jenna Ellis has been tested, uh, facing multiple felony counts, and it's tough. But uh, I've stood in front of uh, 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 a six-foot-tall Antifa guy who started swinging at me, and I stood my ground, and I, and I let him take swings at me. For this, Tucker Carlson invited me on his show to talk about it, saying, this guy's getting in your face and swinging at you. And, you're just, and I'm like, he was doing this thing where he would swing and then stop. And I'm like, let's go, buddy. You're going to hit me? Let me see what happens. I'm not moving. You're not telling me I can't be here. I have been, uh, the, 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 to, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll say this, you know, I, not facing multiple felony counts never happened, you know, to me like that. I did stare down a, a year for driving on a suspended license. That pissed me off. And I told the judge I had been coerced into accepting that deal. And the judge was like, what? So when I was facing, uh, I got arrested. I bonded. So like I was released right away. And then someone had to come pick up my car. They said it was a year maximum, which you're, it's not really going to happen, right? And so I was told 
either accept the plea deal or I will go to jail for a year. When I said, okay, fine, I guess. I think I was like, what, 18? I think I was 19. No, I think I was 18, actually. And so I have no idea what's going on. And the judge says, uh, you have entered a, a plea of guilt. I said, yes, your honor. I was like, have you been coerced in any way into accepting this plea? I said, yes, your honor. And he goes, wait, what? And I was like, uh, excuse me? He's like, who coerced you? And I was like, him. And I pointed to the prosecutor and I'm like, he says, if I don't plead guilty, he's going to put me in jail for a year. And the judge is like, get a lawyer and come back. And, uh, you know, ultimately we agreed to, uh, expunging it, court supervision, all that stuff. And, uh, no, I get it. The difference here was this was not a battle of my convictions. This was like, I had no idea what was going on, but, uh, I gave a little resistance. I'm like, I'm not just going to sit here and be like, you know, whatever. Ultimately I had to pay, uh, I think $150 and I wasn't allowed to drive for three months. So, uh, I, you know, fully, fully admit a little resistance there. But, you know, I, I ultimately uh, uh, took a plea that resulted in um, the, the charge was removed. Now, some people are saying about Jenna Ellis right now, but this is different. What she's talking about is she stood up and said that, you know, Donald Trump, 2020 election, all that stuff. This is an important constitutional battle for this country, not something that's immaterial to the world and, and things like this. When I was facing uh, one to six months, my brother was facing six months. I was likely facing a month. I, uh, they told me, if you fight this, it's you know, like you'll, you'll, you're going to lose. And then you're going to go. They're going to try and get you for a month because that's the trial tax. They're going to, you know, and, and again, one month. This is not multiple felony counts. But I said, no, I'll, I'll, I'll go to trial. I'm going to make them fight for it. I am going to make any I want. I want this to be known. If you want to go to a war with me, I am going to make you drag your fingernails to the bone. I will give you all of the resistance imaginable. And I've talked about this quite a bit. In my view, the way you deter, the way you deter people taking advantage of you is you make sure they know you want to victimize somebody, go find a victim. You want to come at me? I'm going to make sure it hurts. This is this is my view on uh, uh, muggings and violence. And, you know, maybe one day it results in me getting mugged or something. There you go, deep state. When a guy tried to mug me in in uh, uh, Chicago, I laughed at him and told him to F off. I didn't have any money anyway. I've told the story before, too. And I just kept walking. I didn't stop. The guy was taller than me, claimed he had a knife. And I'm just laughing. I'm like, my attitude is, dude. I am going to make sure that if you try and take from me, you're at least going to get someone who's going to try to beat the crap out of you. You want to go victimize somebody. There's a guy who's going to cower in fear and hand over his shoes. You want to come at me. I'm going to start swinging. So don't bother. Why? It's not that I want to fight somebody. It's not that I think I'm a tough guy. It's that this is the smartest path to take in preventing someone from targeting you. Let them know there's two people right here. Go bother that guy. He's going to cower in fear. Me? I'm going to make sure it hurts. I'm going to make sure you regret it. And we're going to turn whatever your, your, your mugging charges, you're going to have to turn it into murder. Because I'm not, I'm not going to bend the knee to you. And so my point is this. I bring this up because we're talking about convictions. And, you know, Andrew Clavin, I see this tweet, and this is something I directly addressed yesterday. Now, I don't know if he's responding to what I had said, but I look at the Bud Light stuff. I look at these stories and someone willing to be like $100 million. Wow. Would you turn that down? I'm not you. Some of you commenting saying you're stupid, you take the money. Nah, I'm not interested. I don't know what I'm alive for. If I'm going to take $100 million from Bud Light, 
Why? So I can go on a boat? Let me explain boats to you guys. Owning a boat sucks. <laughs> the joke is the, the best day uh, for a boat owner is the day they buy their boat. The second best day is when they sell their boat. The best boat is your friend's boat. Those, those are the jokes. I'm like, what do you do with $100 million? Do I want to ride in a helicopter to the airport instead of taking a taxi? You can already do that. They're charters. They cost a couple hundred bucks. You're in New York, you're in Manhattan. You want to go to the airport? It's like $500 to, to rent a helicopter to fly you to the airport. What do you need your own helicopter for? You know, people own private jets, right? Do you think they fly in them all the time? What they do is they charter them out to other people at low rates. This is, this is the world, man. The world is not made for the ultra wealthy. The world is made to accommodate the, the working class and, the, and poor people because there's substantially more of them. I don't know what you do with $100 million. I really just don't get it. Now, I understand he could give that to the fighters, to the staff, raise wages. That I totally get. That I totally get. And there may be people saying, Tim, if you put that Bud Light logo behind you, you could give all of your staff, you know, a couple million dollars each. And I'm like, none of that makes sense. None of it makes sense. Sorry. I don't know what I would do with that money. I suppose you can argue it would ensure the existence of Timcast for many years to come. It would give us a tremendous tool in winning the culture war. But if I were to compromise my values and put a garbage brand like Bud Light behind me, we're not winning the culture war. We're admitting that we are losing it and that there is a monetary price on selling out. It comes to varying degrees. It's not absolute. What I am saying is not that in every circumstance all the time, you never back down. You never retreat. No, sometimes you must surrender. Sometimes you must retreat. And for that, I give Jenna Ellis respect and Andrew Clavin respect. I have never faced down the barrel of multiple felony charges. However, in this instance, I'd like to believe that uh, you're, you're, you're not, you're not going to get me to back down. Like it is, it is, it is going to go, it's going to be nuclear. I'm, I'm not playing these games, dude. What Jenna Ellis is talking about is her constitutional obligation and duty to this country and to her client. And what she is doing now is selling out Donald Trump. Selling him out to avoid a lengthy, expensive legal battle. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to give you Julian Assange. Andrew Clavin says, charmed by these people who imagine themselves heroic martyrs. Yet Julian Assange, for now like 12 years, his life has been destroyed for the work that he believed in. And these are the people that I look up to. So when I see Jenna Ellis crying on TV, when I see Dana White accepting $100 million, don't forget who I really see is Julian Assange, a journalist calling out corruption, misdeeds, reporting on the corruption within the government. Never forget that what Julian Assange and WikiLeaks worked on exposed a lot of what the Clintons had been doing, a lot of emails getting released. And for this, Julian Assange is being assassinated, executed. Don't come to me and say Jenna Ellis is, is doing the right thing and the smart thing when I every day am reminded of what is going on with Julian Assange. It is remarkable that Julian Assange went to the Ecuadorian embassy and for a decade lived in a box under constant surveillance with threat of death. Hillary Clinton reportedly saying, can't we just drone this guy? You want me to defend Jenna Ellis? I'll defend Julian Assange. 
maybe in 100 years, when all of this is resolved and we've won, they'll build a statue for Julian Assange and explain what it means to stand up for what you believe in, to resist, to fight, and to say, I will not bend the knee. Guess what? As the story goes, Julian Assange could have just given up information on their sources and and where their information comes from to Donald Trump. And that probably would have resulted in a pardon. The the story is, and I don't know if this is confirmed, that the Trump, Trump circle had sent some individuals to meet with Assange that basically pr- promised him a pardon if he gave up his data. And Julian said no. That's remarkable. After nine or 10 years in, 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 in living in a box in the Ecuadorian embassy, they said, we'll make this all go away. You'll see grass, flowers. You'll wake up on the beach with the sun lighting your face. Just give And Julian Assange said no. And for this, he has been extra. They 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 uh, um. They're they're trying to destroy him. They dragged him out of the Ecuadorian embassy. They're charging him with a bunch of insane federal charges in the United States. He's not an American citizen. So don't come to me and talk about taking the hundred million dollars. Don't come to me and talk about Jenna Ellis when the people I actually look up to have sacrificed their lives. And have been forgotten. You know, most days go by and people don't think about Julian Assange. And there's not many people who, uh, who, who remember his fight. And this is what they tell you. They say, Jenna, when you're locked up for Donald Trump and everyone's forgotten your name and abandoned you, you'll tell yourself it wasn't worth it. Tell that to Julian Assange, who's never given up. Tell that to him. Tell me that we should we should uh, we should forgive. Oh, Dana White's going to get $100 million as a smart move. Oh, Jenna Ellis, she, she, she pleads guilty. Sidney Powell, I plead guilty. It's a smart move. Those are not the people that I look up to. These are not the people I respect. And these are not people I will defend. I will ask you to support and defend Julian Assange. And not to forget him. Because he's an example of what happens when you tell the machine, F you, and I will not back down. And that is heroism. Whatever, you get it. Buy Bud Light, do whatever you want. I don't care. I'm me, you're you. I'm wrong about a lot of stuff. You don't got to agree with me. I can be wrong. Fine. But I don't don't live in that world. And in in the deepest core of my being, I don't understand why we're alive. What is the fear? Being in jail? Is it really the worst thing in the world? It's bad. It sucks. Torture is horrifying. What's happening to the J6ers is terrifying. And that's, that's, that's scary stuff, man. It's scary stuff what they could do to you. But what's the point of being alive? I just don't understand. So you can be on a boat. You want to be on a boat. It doesn't cost that much money. You want a nice car. It doesn't cost that much money. It's not hard. I remember I once saw a guy in his 20s driving a Lotus. And it's like a $40,000, $50,000 car at the time. And I'm like, man, it'd be so cool to have a car like that. Yeah, it's a couple hundred bucks a month. It's not that difficult. You know, you, you get to the point of like Elon Musk, Bill Gates, you got billions of dollars. And it's just like, to what end are you alive? If not to seek out, to improve, to be better, to change the world. If you wanted to recoil and go and, and go and hide in the corner and hide in a, in a building and have your video games and your VR and your private jet. If you're making a million bucks a year, right? You're a millionaire. A million bucks is a lot of money. Very few people make that to that level. A hundred million for this deal 
you're making way more. I don't know if Dana White's getting all the hundred million. Let me let me let me break it down for you. You want to fly in a private jet? Okay. Uh, New York to Florida charter ranges from like, you know, 15 to $20,000. A lot of money, right? But you don't need to buy a private jet for millions of dollars to do it. You want to buy a private jet? Well, you can get a turboprop for a couple hundred thousand dollars. What? Only a couple. That's right. That means you're spending three grand per month. I'm not kidding. $3,000 per month. And you've got a turboprop from the 80s, which is not a Gulfstream. You're not really going to be flying coast to coast or something like that. You want a Gulfstream? Fine. But when people fly private, right, it could cost you from like eight to $15,000 for regional private flights. A lot of money I know, but $100 million you do not need to do something like this. Then you have something like NetJets, where you, you, you spend a couple hundred thousand dollars to buy a percentage of a fleet, and then you pay for the fuel and landing costs, and it dramatically reduces the cost, and you're flying private. My point is this. To be wealthy, to have these luxuries, to live at the top of a giant skyscraper and have that penthouse, it's not as much money as people think, right? People think that you have like $100 million in cash and you have this private jet. Some people do. But to fly private, you don't need that much money. You really don't. To live in that penthouse, you don't need that much money. You want to live in like a $5 million house or whatever, you're going to need like $20,000 disposable per month, which means you're probably making a million bucks a year. This is what people uh, don't get. They hear these stories where it's like celebrity buys $20 million mansion. And it's like, yeah, it's an investment property first and foremost. They're spending maybe like fifty dollars to $80,000 per month. That's a lot of money. These people make a lot of money. So they have about an excess of a million bucks in cash. However, they're not intending on like living. It's an investment property. They, they, they buy it. This is what people don't understand. These big mansions, they get rented out. I'm not kidding. People think that like all these rich people, like there's a lot of ultra wealth that have these big mansions, but a lot of them get chartered out. There's no reason for a single individual to buy a 50 room mansion and live in it. What they'll do is they'll, uh, they'll find a company and say, we want to do special events. And then they'll say, okay, you know, every weekend we have an event coming. The event costs 100, 200 grand, and they're making money of it. People who own private jets, charter them out to make money off of because they don't actually own or use these or they're paying a, off a loan. My, my point is just this. You don't need to make $100 million to live the ultimate life of luxury or whatever. Perhaps you want to own that billion do- that $100 million yacht or whatever. And then just what do you do with it? They charter it out. My point is this, man. The best things in life are free. Fact. And, uh, you know, it's that, it's that old song, I want money. And it's just like, to a certain extent, money is important around maybe I think the average person uh, uh, once once you get to like 200 to 300 K per year, this is a study. People hit that that wall, that apex where they have what they want to have. You have that much money. And then when you do feel like traveling on vacation, you can fly private if you want. Making 200, 300 thousand dollars a year. And so the real the real issue for a lot of people is they assume the gap between 50 K and 300 K is actually the gap between 50 and 100 million. It's not. You will find that peak stability and happiness and comfort comes around, you know, several hundred thousand dollars. I think they said that in the U.S. it's like 150K on average is where you get to that point where you're comfortable and then where you're truly excited and, and living the life of luxury is probably several hundred thousand dollars. I think if you're making like 550 you're in the top one percent and then you truly get to experience being on the yacht, being on the cruise and all these really nice things. But a hundred million dollars, whatever, man, you get the point. What are you 
if not your values and your beliefs. Now, this is what separates me from so many people, I guess. My life and what I am is what I believe and what I think must be and not what I must own. But there are a lot of people who believe life is about what you can get and what you can own. And I feel that, 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 that there's an essence of evil in that. I would rather live in a cold steel box than have a bunch of money and have a couch and watch movies or I just don't understand. And maybe it's because of the way I grew up, but I'm also deeply inspired by the founding fathers. These men who looked at a document, the Declaration of Independence, and said, gentlemen, we cannot win a war against the crown. We will lose. And after we sign this and declare our names to this demand, Declaration of Independence, we will sacrifice our sacred treasure, our sacred honor, our children, our family members, our lives, our homes. Each and every one of the founding fathers who signed that document knew they were signing their death warrant. How can you grow up in a country learning the stories of these great men and women who said, I will sacrifice everything I have to make what is now the greatest nation this country has ever seen? And then tell me that Jenna Ellis did the right thing. I shouldn't compare Jenna Ellis or any of these people to the founding fathers. Fine. But those are the those are the stories I grew up listening to. Their children were captured. Their homes were seized. Men of wealth and means who had what everyone desired. And they said, I will throw it all away for what I know to be true and right and just and what must be. And we got lucky. France intervened. And the crown was forced to surrender. And these men who expected to lose, this is a fact, the founding fathers thought they would lose. And they stated they were sacrificing everything just to say it, just to say it, and to eventually be arrested as terrorists. And instead, they birthed the greatest nation this, this world has ever seen. Tell me that story and expect me to do anything other than sacrifice the core of my being for what I believe to be true and just and correct. Good luck. That's just me. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel, and uh, I'll see you then. We are watching a slow motion train crash. Israel-Hamas war updates. Israel agrees to delay Gaza invasion for U.S. military to prepare defenses. That's right. Israel was planning on a ground invasion in Gaza, which likely will spell disaster expansion and escalation of war in the region. And worse now, they're going to hold off so the U.S. can prepare its defenses. Indicative of U.S. involvement in an expanding Middle East war in quite possibly the worst way imaginable. Numerous stories now coming out about U.S. deployments into the region. And it seems like we are staring down the barrel of a massive escalation, which many people are warning will lead to World War Three. It's almost meaningless at this point, World War Three. It's almost meaningless because it is a slow motion train crash. Every day we are watching a grain of sand into that heap and it is getting bigger and worse. Words like your, yours or mine fall on deaf ears because these people in government are hell bent on absolute destruction. And I think the Israel-Palestine conflict exemplifies this 
perfect. Are the people of Gaza being benefited by the actions of Hamas? No. Will Hamas back down? No. Do the people of Gaza reject Hamas? No. Now, they, they, they say these activists, they say Palestine is not Hamas. That's fine. Fair point. The people of Gaza, the civilians are not Hamas, but 51 percent support is the latest metric we have. At any rate, you have Hamas in Gaza attacking Israel. And you have these arguments about, well, Israel's airstrike in Gaza, et cetera, et cetera. That's never going to end. Many on the left, many anti-Zionists, they will argue that Israel is at fault. On the right, the people will say Hamas is the one who clearly started this. None of that matters. What matters is this. I mean, certainly that matters. My point is, in the greater picture of World War III, understand, at a certain point, you are only condemning yourself to death. And the question then becomes, what is the reason that you are, that you are taking these actions? Now, I know, hear me, my friends, I have talked in great deal, a great deal about the founding fathers who would sacrifice everything for what they believed in. And that I truly understand. But I want to make sure I exemplify the important point of winning. When it comes to these issues like Donald Trump's legal case, my attitude is is rather disdainful towards those who have pleaded guilty. And the reason for this is we are in the fight right now an ideological battle to win for the heart and soul of this nation. And if you are surrendering, but nay, flipping and turning on uh, your allies and friends in your country, you've given up. That's something entirely different. If you are facing an inevitable defeat in which there is nothing you can do, perhaps leverage and negotiation is your best option. Perhaps that's the argument on an individual level for someone like Jenna Ellis. I don't want to get too much into the Trump politics stuff, but my point is simply this. World War Three is a no-win scenario. Standing up for what you believe in is a win scenario. And that's the difference. I'm trying to get to this point. At a certain point, Hamas is not doing anything to achieve victory. They're simply destroying themselves to feel good. What are they going to win? This is not the path forward. This is a path towards defeat. And now the U.S. doing the exact same thing. But there is no answer. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. Western forces will give you every argument as to why they must. Eastern forces will give you every argument to why they must. And that's it. Both sides saying we cannot back down. Well, there you go. A collision course in slow motion. Here's a story from the Wall Street Journal. Israel agrees to delay invasion of Gaza so U.S. can rush missile defenses to the region. The Pentagon is scrambling to deploy nearly a dozen air defense systems to the region, including for U.S. troops serving in Iraq, Syria, Kuwait, Jordan, Saudi Arabia and the Emirates to protect them from missiles and rockets. U.S. officials have so far persuaded the Israelis to hold off until those pieces can be placed as early as later this week. Understand what they're saying. The news has reported over and over again now that Iranian proxies have attacked U.S. forces, dozens injured. It's bad. The U.S. is now saying, Israel, hold off on your invasion. Why? Because Israel is going to attack. I'm sorry. Israel is going to be attacked. U.S. forces will be attacked. Escalation will happen. So before Israel engages in this action in Gaza, the U.S. wants to make sure it is ready for 
full scale war. Or, you know, you want to be, you want me to play a little bit more uh, safely. They want to be able to defend themselves. But what happens if Iran strikes U.S. targets in response to Israeli invasions? War, baby. And I hope you're ready for what that means. Oh, you want to know what that means? This is Biden country. It means higher prices for gas. It means higher prices for food. It means higher cost of rent. And if it really does get to World War Three, ladies and gentlemen, it means y'all going to get drafted. Sorry, Gen Z. And if it really is World War Three, that draft is going up way more, way beyond just 22. It's not going to be 18 to 22. It's going to go up to 40. And if it really gets bad, they'll take anyone. You're going to have 60 year olds forming local militia to defend from attacks. Not that I think the U.S. is likely to get invaded or anything, but depending on the scale of warfare, welcome to hell. But I do want to stress, too, <clears throat> that turn of phrase. That quote someone shared on Twitter I saw, it said, war is not hell, war is war. In hell, everyone around you is guilty. In, in war, everyone around you is innocent. And that's the terrifying reality. From military.com, Army air defense units from three bases are deploying to Middle East after 13 drone attacks. What should the U.S. do? Right? Let me ask you this honest question. You can comment below. The U.S. knows Israel is planning a ground incursion into Gaza. Why? To get rid of Hamas. Hamas just staged a massive attack on Israel, killing 1,400 civilians, taking hostages. What should Israel do? Israel's responded with massive airstrikes, which have resulted in the death of many, many civilians. And the, the, the most infuriating thing to me. The left saying, how dare Israel? The right saying, how dare Hamas? Well, I agree. How dare Hamas? But it's almost like people don't realize it's war. It's war. Hamas is not going to back down. They want all the land from the river to the sea. There's no negotiating here. What they did was evil, killing civilians and kidnapping people. It's evil. No question. Israel's engaged in military strikes in retaliation. It's resulting in massive collateral damage. I wouldn't call it evil. I'd call it wrong. I would call it more. Let me put it this way to piss off all the leftists, whatever, and the people on the right who are anti-Israel. It is not evil to defend yourself. The collateral damage is a tragedy. It is horror and it is war. It is wrong. It is bad and it must be stopped. But it's not evil. Perhaps it encroaches onto a degree of it. But Israel did not storm the gates of Gaza on October 7th and massacre a bunch of civilians. The left then comes out and says, yes, but before this, Israel did this, did that, did otherwise. OK, it's war. I get it. There's no answers. We want the civilian deaths to stop. But there is a difference between Hamas intentionally targeting civilians and Israel blowing things up, which results in collateral damage. There is. I'm sorry. Both are bad. Both are wrong. One is a choice of abject evil and one is more callousness. I don't know what to tell you. War will happen. What should the U.S. do? That's an honest question. Honest question. What should the U.S. do? If Israel is going to do this, the U.S. will be attacked. The U.S. must sharpen its defenses. 
escalation seems like an inevitability. There are a lot of people on the right who are critical of the left for calling for a ceasefire. I think that's silly and absurd. We want Gaza to stop Hamas, to stop firing rockets. They must. Israel then must stop bombing targets in Gaza. The problem? Hamas is initiating the rocket fire. I don't know to tell you. I got no answers for you, my friends. I think Hamas is wrong to have started what they did. And now Israel's responding. We want there to be no violence. But if Israel does stop, Gaza ramps it up. So what is the world we live in going to be? Israel is forced to live under the Iron Dome as Hamas just fires rocket after rocket after rocket. I don't have answers for you, my friends. All I know is that whatever this is, it results in civilian death. And perhaps it is very naive for people to think that there is anything else but war. I know we want peace. But do you really think the people of Hamas will ever stop? No. And I know this is true. If Israel were to remove the security barriers around Gaza and say free movement for all, it would be a massacre of Israeli civilians. The Army Air Defense is deploying into the Middle East, and there's more. U.S. agrees to send two Iron Dome batteries to Israel. So there we go. The U.S. is directly involved, and escalation seems inevitable. In fact, not just inevitable, but we're watching it. Can't go with the great tweets. The Pentagon is deploying two carrier strike groups, 11 Burke-class destroyers, a number of Ticonderoga-class cruisers, amphibious assault ships, FAD and Patriot missile defense systems, multiple squadrons of fighter jets, strategic bombers, and undisclosed assets to the Middle East. The Pentagon expects Iranian proxies to continue to target U.S. troops in the region, and has already stated they will respond decisively. What's the probability that this escalates into a war between the United States and Iran? The Pentagon says, between October 17th and the 24th, U.S. and coalition forces have been attacked at least 10 separate times in Iraq and three separate times in Syria via a mix of one-way attack drones and rockets. We know that the groups conducting these attacks are supported by the IRGC and the Iranian regime. We are seeing the prospect for more significant escalation against U.S. forces and personnel across the region in the near term, coming from Iranian proxy forces and ultimately from Iran. So by virtue of our announcement over the weekend, we are preparing for this escalation, both in terms of defending our forces and responding decisively. This image tracking the U.S. naval assets near Israel. Large U.S. naval fleet massing in theater destroyer intercepts missiles. Some people are arguing, <clears throat> have stated. This is the largest NATO contingent ever deployed to the region. I don't know for sure, man. I'm not a military expert guy, and I can't tell you. I can't tell you. But I can certainly look at this and say, hey, they're sending a whole lot of military and naval assets into the region in the midst of a dramatic escalation of war. So what say you? We, we be here, but humble chickens in the chicken coop. As the world begins to fall down around us. Now we can say things. We can vote. And there's some, some moves, I believe, that have benefited us greatly. Electing Matt Gates, supporting Matt Gates, challenging this, the speakership. The fact that there is no speaker has delayed 
what may be the annihilation of major urban centers, maybe the world, who knows? Certainly, the military industrial complex and its deep state assets in government are arguing that if we do not act now, the U.S. will be destroyed and we'll live under the boot of China. Sounds horrible. Sounds absolutely horrible. And you run into a force, a a battle of force of will and questioning where that line is. I don't see Gaza winning with their current course of actions. I do not see the U.S. or China winning any of this in their current course of actions. I had a conversation about Native Americans, and I said, it's really interesting how they decided to win. And they did. Now, do the Native Americans retain their ancestral lands? They don't. What about these protests where they go and they say, this is tribal land, and they lose? Doesn't seem like a winning strategy, does it? You know, a lot of people would say, if you stop the protest, you are giving up. I disagree. The Native Americans who built casinos waged war economically and won. Started buying back land, became extremely wealthy, and many of these individuals live better. Not that the Native Americans are doing very well in a lot of places. Some of the most impoverished places within the the continental United States are Native American reservations. There's a lot that we can do to help, for sure. I don't like the idea of displaced people. I don't like the idea of sending booze to try and disrupt their lives. My point is simply this. Of the Native Americans who had been crushed by colonization, many have figured out a way to fight back in a way that wins. And that is, uh, they, they, they built casinos, took the resources from the people, and then expanded and built more. And now many of them are billionaires. There are many people who say it is dishonorable. In war, there is no dishonor. There is only victory. My point is this. I'm not suggesting that the Palestinians build casinos or anything like that, because I believe it's haram. I'm saying you have to figure out how you win. And firing rockets, which are weak and and get deflected, it's not winning anything. It results in airstrikes. But I tell you this, perhaps that is their strategy exactly. Because now Joe Biden has pledged $100 million. Now you have activist groups on the left pledging millions of dollars. And most of it funnels to Hamas. It helps the people of Gaza, no question. But Hamas controls it. Perhaps that's the strategy that they're using to win. When they kill Israeli civilians, people in the West send them $100 plus million. There you go. And this will never stop so long as that's the case. I don't see this as a path forward for victory, and it's reaching a point where it's become untenable and we may be dragged into a massive, massive regional conflict, which could bleed out into global war. I hope that's not the case, and I want it to not be the case. Drone attacks on American bases injured two dozen U.S. military personnel. The U.S. will respond, and then you will get your war with Iran. I don't know what to tell you, ladies and gentlemen. But it seems like we are marching on this path and there's nothing that's going to stop it. Everyone seems to want it, I guess. Perhaps it's because everyone's trapped in the machine. I remember watching this video where a bunch of activists uh, stage is sitting on the lawn of like an oil executive's house. And he came out and sat with them and said, tell me your tell me what, what your concerns are. And they all talked. And they found that the oil executive 
agreed with them. Really? How could that be? These people thought the oil executive was some evil guy who was like, I'm going to make more profits and destroy the world. When in reality, he was like, the world lives and dies by fossil fuels. We want to find alternatives. We want, okay. So then they say, okay, well, look, we got to stop fossil fuels. And he says, 300,000 jobs in this one area alone. Where do those people go to work right now if we shut this down? The argument, that doesn't matter if the world ends. Fair point. These 300,000 people here will die without access to heating and some air conditioning. Should we shut off their power right now? No, that's the problem. The problem is that even those within the machine can recognize we are we are dooming ourselves. If even this executive was like, look, I want to cut back on fossil fuel consumption, too. It's too much. But these people will die. These people will starve and war will break out here. Give me your solutions. I, I need them. They don't have any. They don't have any. There are elements within the United States government who are probably looking at this like, how do we avoid war? But the only moves they see on the board push us towards war. The argument may be like, what if we totally disengage? War erupts in the region anyway. There were two arguments I covered yesterday, one from Ben Shapiro and one from a former military chief in the UK. Ben Shapiro says, if the US is not involved, the conflict will escalate. Israel will retaliate. War will erupt in the region and it will expand into World War Three. The U.S. must go in and stop it now. The ex-military chief argued if the U.S. goes in to try and stop this war, it will force Iran's hand. Iran will then strike, making this bleed out into a larger conflict. And well, it certainly seems like there's no answer, right? That's right. There's none. Hamas won't stop. Israel will not tolerate being bombed by Hamas. Israel will retaliate. Leftists and other countries will not accept collateral damage from Israeli airstrikes. Iran is going to target U.S. bases in the region. Why? U.S. bases surround Iran. So what can you do? Did you buy your emergency food yet? I hope you did. Safeandreadymeals.com is who we typically shout out in our, in our ad spots. I hope you did. I hope you did. I hope you did. We don't know where this goes. It may not be for years. It could be tomorrow. When the shot is heard around the world, you will never see it coming. I think it's fair to say you can see it coming now. But what I mean is, could it be tomorrow? Could it be a week, a month, a year, three, four, five years? One day you'll wake up and the news will report that the shots were fired. And then everyone breaks from the starting line. Like the man firing the pistol in the air. The shot is heard and everyone runs full speed to buy up all the toilet paper. Did you buy yours yet? My point is simply this. If it comes to this, you will not be prepared. I love this. People comment being like, Tim thinks he's prepared. I didn't say I was prepared. I didn't say I was prepared at all. I can only tell you that you won't be. Now, let's be real. There's a handful of people who are prepared. They could probably live underground for 30 years. But the rest of us, you're not prepared because you can only be so prepared. What I mean to say is even if you've got emergency food, water, and a first aid kit, and a backup plan, and a bug out bag, and an emergency shelter, you don't know what comes next. You can be better prepared, but never fully prepared. I hope it doesn't come to World War III, my friends. 
But it does seem like right now it is an inevitability. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. Megan Rapinoe is seeking to raise money for the children of Gaza. A noble effort. We don't want innocent children to die. We don't want innocent Israelis to die. We just want war to stop. We don't want anybody dying. Uh, It's really difficult to figure out how you solve a problem like this. But I digress, my friends. This segment is not about what Megan Rapinoe is doing, but an offer I made and the response from the left and individuals who would defend groups like Queers for Palestine, an organization that, my friends, absolutely does exist. Here's the BDS website, Boycott, Divest and Sanction. You can't wash this. Queers for Palestine block reclaiming Berlin's radical queer march for space, et cetera, et cetera. Here's the tweet. I said, can someone start a GoFundMe for a pride parade in Gaza? I will contribute $100,000 to help Megan and any of the queers for Palestine get there. Matt Bender, been on the show before, said a completely unhinged response to a person raising money for children. Ah, over target. Unhinged response. Unhinged. It's a nonsense word. Come on. Unhinged would be like me screaming at Megan Rapinoe and, you know, ranting about Israel being justified or something. Unhinged means like mentally unwell, incongruous thought patterns. No, I think my statement makes a whole lot of sense. And it's uh, marginal, mostly unrelated to the story of Megan Rapinoe. Matt Bender and many leftists are deeply offended that I would advocate giving $100,000 to help them go to Palestine for a gay pride march, for a, a pride parade. But this proves my point. And my point is this. I did not disparage Megan. I did not say she was bad or wrong for wanting to do this. My point is these people on the left will not, will not ever actually stand up for what they believe in. What I mean is we often see them with uh, tremendous convictions for their causes. But when push comes to shove, will they actually confront their ideas? Let me, let me try this again. The left is willing to get fired because they're wearing a mask. Why? Is it because they truly believe in Black Lives Matter? No, it's because of the social ramifications. They want to be like, look at me, virtue signal, virtue signal. Would they ever actually go to Chicago and do uh, um, like de-escalation uh, uh, trainings and seminars, talking with people to de-escalate gun violence? No, they don't do that. Some do. My respect to them. But I mean, in, in, gen- in general, these advocates for Gaza and Palestine, particularly the queers for Palestine, will they actually go there and, and march? No, well, of course not, because they know that their ideas don't make sense. I believe that uh, the people of Palestine are in a tough spot. I should say of Gaza, because Palestine is, is, is a bit vague. West Bank or Gaza, the people of Gaza. It's a horrifying, horrifying situation. I don't have any answers for you. I can tell you that chanting from the river to the sea is not going to bring about peace. And then a terror attack killing a bunch of civilians certainly will not do it because, you know, you're kind of making it that way. The people on the left say that Israel's to blame for Gaza, despite the fact that Egypt is the one who ceded the territory and closed off Rafah. Israel could certainly open theirs too, but it's not like it's just Israel. There's Jordan, there's Egypt, there's Lebanon. It is just war. So here's my point. There are many people on the left and they hold what I believe to be insane views. In Gaza, It is a 10 year prison sentence for being gay. 
But there are groups marching in big cities saying queers for Palestine. This is not a logical position to have. It's not advocacy for anything. If you truly want a free Palestine, understand what that means. It means you, queers for Palestine, go to prison. So how could you advocate for freeing Palestine at the same time insult their beliefs and their worldview? You see the point? If you want to defend Palestine, you must recognize the whim and wills of the people there in supporting legislation that opposes gay rights. But this is the left. Here's here's a tweet from Ted Deutsch, CEO of American Jewish Committee. The glorification of Hamas terrorists, celebration of 1400 murders and calls for the destruction of Israel. This is what GW tweet students are facing. These vile anti-Semitic messages put Jewish students in danger. This language has no place in society, let alone campus. The first thing I will do is criticize and uh, somewhat insult this gentleman, Ted Deutsch. Bro, their stupid statements aren't putting people in danger. Calm down. I won't accept that from the left. I won't accept it from the right or, or pro-Israel. But I will agree they are vile, anti-Semitic messages. And they're, it's disgusting. And this is what the left is. Projecting glory to our martyrs. Free Palestine from the river to the sea. Incredible. I've been reading a little bit about the history of, uh, of the region to uh, learn a bit more. And the more I read, the more it's just like, I, the more I believe the left, what we see with the anti-Israel crowd tends to be many on the left, I'm not saying everyone, who don't know anything about what they're talking about. Because if you want to support Palestine, you would oppose gay rights. Do you believe in the will of the Palestinian people? Okay, well, they say it's 10 years in prison if you're gay. Do you support them? Yes or no? You don't support them? Well, then you're lying. Then you have anti-Zionist groups, which range many left who are anti-Zionist and, and many right America first types who are also. I think many of these people just hate Israel. I'm not saying every single one. <clears throat> I'm saying there are a lot of people that don't, don't seem to have strong arguments. And there's certainly many who do. But I just see many people who are just like, if it's Israel, they hate it. And I'm like, whatever, man. It's annoying. But for me, my, my, my bigger concern is a faction of people in this country who don't have any real strong views, who support whatever cause seems to be popular, and you get evil. Here you go. Here's evil. New Jersey handyman refuses to take jobs from Jewish clients in solidarity with the Palestinian people. Illegal, mind you. Saying to express my solidarity with the Palestinian people, I'm currently not offering my services to the Jewish community. That's a crime in this country. But you see, many of these leftists, <clears throat> excuse me, they don't actually care about civil rights. They would say, bake the cake, bigot. And then turn around and be like, well, you know, we don't provide service for your kind around here. How could you hold both views? You can't. Principle and morality don't matter. These leftists only care about power. So when you have large groups supporting Hamas, they'll just say, OK. Did they ever stop to think about their positions? Of course they didn't, because if they did, they would not advocate careers for Palestine. But I'll tell you. I cannot, to clarify, actually offer $100,000 for people to fly to Palestine for a pride march. I can't. You know why? Oh, I could afford it, baby. You know, we'd love to. 
It's because they'll be killed. And I cannot accept responsibility for someone going over there and then dying. There's a story of a man, Palestinian man who was gay. And so he fled to Israel for asylum. And guess what? Israel granted it, allowing him to live in Israel as a gay man because he would be killed if he was in Palestine. Palestinian territories. Guess what? Palestinians hunted him down and killed him. You can read all about it if you want. Because it's, a, it's, 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 it's against their, their moral code and their worldview. If they want to live that way, so be it. But for American leftists in one of the safest and most luxurious countries in the world would advocate for this stuff without thinking about it. That's the banality of evil with a touch of little malice in there. Do you want to create a state? Think about this. Think about this. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Do you have any idea how many LGBT people will be killed if that if, if Hamas is able to seize the territory of Israel, seize Israel, conquer it. Let me try this. Leftists, you argue that it is Palestine from the river to the sea, and Israel is a colonizing force. Okay. How many LGBT people need to die for Palestine to reclaim that territory? I'm waiting. If from the river to the sea, Palestinian Authority took over all of Israel, they would be arresting and executing LGBT people who live in Israel. Like we already know the story of the guy who got asylum in Israel. This is what they're advocating for and why we must call them out. Because if Palestine is freed from the river to the sea, as they describe it, which means the eradication of Israel, you would see the mass execution of women and children, or elderly, Holocaust survivors. And you know what? When the left says, yes, but settlers are not civilians. Okay. Then a bunch of innocent LGBT people will die, including Palestinians who sought asylum. Palestinians who were gay, who got asylum in Israel, and there, and this is, go look it up. They do this. They'll be killed. But you know, you'll get your moral victory and your virtue signal. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 6 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. My friends, I give you the modern state of America. Now, it, it perhaps is unfair to take a single video of a young woman complaining about having to have a job and then insult all of Gen Z. But I do think it's fair to say that there is a high density of young people who don't like working. And I got to be honest, I don't know what their life is all about, but I do think I can explain why this is happening. In this video that's going viral, a young woman is crying because she has to commute to work. She says she's on the train by like seven. She's home by 615. She's too tired. She just eats and then goes to bed. And it's like, uh-huh, welcome to what life is and uh, always has been. In fact, life was substantially worse 100, 200 years ago. But uh, sure. How is it? We have a generation so coddled. They don't do work. Well, I think I can explain it for you. But first, let me play for you the video and you can hear what everyone's been talking about. But this is my first. I know I'm probably just being so dramatic and annoying, 
but this is my first job like my first nine to five job after college and i'm in person and i'm commuting in the city and it takes me fucking forever to get there there's no way i'm gonna be able to afford living in the city right now so that's off the table like fucking duh if i was able to walk to work and it w- it'd be fine but i'm not so it literally takes me like i leave here like i get on the train at 7 30 and i don't get home till like 6 15 earliest and then like i don't have time to do anything i don't i want to shower eat my dinner and go to sleep i don't have time or energy to cook my dinner either like i don't have energy to work out like that's out the window like i'm so upset oh my god nothing to do with my job at all but just like the nine to five schedule in general is crazy being in the office nine to five like if it was remote you get off at five and you're home and everything's fine but like i'm not home it takes me long to get home and like like, people that drive to the office, like, it doesn't, you don't get off at five, and I know it could be worse, I know I could be working longer, but, like, I literally get off, it's pitch black, like, I don't have energy, how do you have friends, like, how do you have time to, like, meet, like, a guy, I don't know, like, how do you have time for, like, dating, like, I don't have time for anything, and I'm, like, so stressed out, and I'm also getting my period, so that's why I'm all emotional, but, like, am I so dramatic? It's fine. Yeah, you are so dramatic. This is uh, like my sad. first. Night. This is sad. How is it that we have uh, we have this? Well, first, let's be reasonable. Uh, we didn't used to have social media. So a lot of young people who entered the workforce and probably felt the stress of the commute they'd not experienced before. Uh, they probably felt the same way, but just didn't embarrass themselves by making videos about it where they're crying, resulting in a bunch of people being like, are you serious? But unfortunately, I think our country has a deep sickness with how we create and train new human beings. So uh, here's what I think. What does she want to do? She says, I go to work and then I don't have time to do anything. What is that anything? Hang out with friends. What does that mean? Well, perhaps the issue is that women are more inclined to want to be social and hang out with other women, whereas men are more goal oriented and want to solve a problem or take on a task. Maybe, maybe not. I don't have the same perspective as her, but um, what I think is that when we're young, we begin to imitate those around us. We develop routines and patterns of behavior. As we get older, we want to retain these patterns of behavior. It feels good to keep doing these things. Why? Evolutionary psychology and biology. Uh, I was reading once in this book about how when some around the age of 24, your brain solidifies. Your perspective hardens. Around 45 or 50 is when your brain reopens up to the possibilities. And this is why people have a midlife crisis. What this means is your worldview around your mid-20s will be your worldview. And the reason that people have mental breakdowns and panic attacks, um, not, not, not the only reason, but one of the big reasons, is that someone's worldview is shattered by undeniable evidence And this causes panic. Your whole life, you lived a specific way and you survived. Which means your brain has developed. This is how we live and this is how we survive. Evolutionary psychology and biology. If at 24 you discover an undeniable truth which shatters your worldview, it puts you at risk. Everything you had been doing led to your success and survival to this point. But now you were wrong. And that's why Brandon Strzok excuse me, talks about how when he watched that video of Trump that proved the media had lied, he felt physical pain 
because everything he believed was shattered in an instant. He had been lied to his whole life. So for this young woman, what was she doing when she was 10 to 13? She was hanging out with her friends and doing nothing else. And for this, that's all she wants to do. And now she's being told you can't do that. You have to do something else. And it is shattering the mind. But this is what I'm supposed to do. I asked a friend once. She told me, I don't know what I want to do in college or what what career I'm going to have. And I said, what were you doing when you were 13? And she's like, hanging out with my friends. And I was like, you want to open a bar? And she goes, oh, that would be so awesome. You see, you spent your days hanging out with your friends, socializing. You want to work in a social establishment. You want to keep doing what you were doing when you were becoming an adult, when you're becoming a human. I'm not saying when you were as a child, you're growing up and developing these things. And as you get older, you build patterns of, of behavior. So this young woman is shocked now and she's having this breakdown because the world is saying everything you were trained to do Everything you are from the point of birth until now is wrong and you must do something different. And that shocks the system. I don't blame her for it. I blame this country. Now, what was I doing when I was a kid? My family owned a family business, started working for the family business. I was like nine or 10, worked till I was 11 or 12. And then uh, this probably, uh, you know, very entrepreneurial family. This probably set me on a path where, for one, I'm exposed to adults all day. So I'm not hearing kids bicker about things. I'm hearing adults bicker about things and adults are bickering about things like politics. It puts me on a path towards what do you do with your life? You work, show up to, I worked weekends, show up to work. Here's what you got to do. You got to do it. And so I'm a kid and my life is work. I'm on the internet. I'm reading news. I'm, I'm like 13 years old and I'm reading about politics. I'm reading about what's going on in the world. Half confused by it, shrugging. I don't know, but I'm seeing these things on the front page of AOL. When I log in, there you go. I start working on video games and apps and flash. Basically, my life was I'm doing things and engaging in projects. Most people are not doing that. They're just hanging out with their friends. When you're older, just hanging out with your friends doesn't help you survive. So we are training our young people to do nothing. Then when they're older, they're like, how come nothing isn't working anymore? That's right. Let me tell you, young woman, about my day. And um, I don't blame her. But let me tell you about my day. Uh, so I wake up around 7.30. 7.30 is when I first wake up. And then I kind of just lay there until about 7.50, scrolling through my phone, reading things that have happened throughout the night, looking at news stories and things like that. And then uh, around 7.50, um, morning routine stuff, putting my contacts, taking a shower, getting ready. Have morning coffee and discuss uh, life and business with my girlfriend. What are our plans? What are the projects? What do we have to do? And then uh, maybe by 8.15 or whatever, I am heading to uh, the studio where I begin then compiling all the news that I had read earlier in the day. And so uh, until about, I, I've been trying to uh, create a schedule that gets me through the day faster. But uh, on some days I'll get done around one so that I can go exercise for about two hours. But some days I'll, I'll work until two or three. It just really depends. Then I will eat food. Then I will relax for about an hour or two. And then I will begin preparation for Timcast IRL. So uh, I don't have the commute you do. I have a small commute, minimal. 
And uh, the day is typically like 8 to 11 p.m. In between the day, from about 3 until 6 p.m., I got a few hours to myself to sit on the couch, play some video games, still reading Twitter and plugged in. And then on the weekends, uh, I typically take the days off for the most part, but still read the news several hours throughout the day because I'm on Twitter. So for you, ma'am, you wake up, you're on the train by 7, you're home by 6.15, you're working less than I am. Uh, I don't know what else to tell you. You, you, you work less than I do, but arguably, well, I, I go to bed about, uh, 1 AM. So if she's back by six fifteen, she has from six until nine to go out for drinks, hang out with friends, get some exercise, then come home and watch movies until 1 AM or whatever. Perhaps it's just me and I'm crazy and I don't need that much sleep. Let's say you go to bed at 11. She still has from six fifteen to get ready, be out by seven for two hours and then be back by nine. And that's great. Nine still kind of early back by 10 and then be in bed by 11 and sleep for eight hours. I don't get it. Your schedule seems to be just fine. The issue is most people have been trained at a young age to do nothing. And so when they have to do something, it is shocking and difficult. And that's the challenge. If we do not correct this, our young people are going to fail. And you know what? It may be too late. Too many young people are like, I can't live this way. Now, perhaps there's another component here. Perhaps the issue is that she's a woman. Yep. And it is possible. uh, Nay, I think it is probable. Many women, not all, want to be social and not object oriented like men. And so this young woman is being told to do masculine behaviors, which is goal oriented, and she doesn't like it when she wants to engage in social behaviors. If you go way back, women would go gathering together and not too far from the camp. I mean, thousands of years back. And the men would go off and hunt. Men might die, maybe not. And so what we're seeing now is what do women like doing? They like shopping. They like hanging out. Why? Well, shopping is like gathering. It is. That's why that's one of the reasons I was reading this study about why women like shopping. Why it's a trope, because going around and collecting things to bring them back is an important task humans had to do. And while the men would hunt, the women would gather. Both were equally important, providing sustenance to the people. But women were socializing while they did it, talking with each other, laughing and being around each other. Imagine if women were told your job from nine to five is going to be to go shopping with your friends. They'd be like, that's work. But this used to be important work. It used to be vital work that the men might come home with a with a deer or whatever. But what what about vegetables, fruits? What about other things? And who's watching the family and the kids? That's what women were doing. Now we treat that as a luxury to go shopping and buying stuff. It's a it's a joke. Oh, women in the credit card when when it's supposed to be an ingrained behavior that helped us survive. I bet you tell this woman we want you to go shopping with your friends to find important things the house needs and the family needs. And that's a valuable thing to be done. We don't do that anymore. Being a housewife, a homemaker, the women would go out, they'd hang out with their friends, they'd go shopping, they'd clean the house and make sure everything was ready to go. And their husband would come home. And I don't understand the dishonor in any of that. So now we're telling women to go be CEOs, go be girl bosses. And they're unhappy. Not all of them. I'm just saying these women in particular are unhappy. I'm not surprised by it. Ultimately, I think what we need to do is teach hard work to everyone, because you know that there are women who work on farms and can handle hard work. There are women who grew up doing hard work, living hard work and can handle 
working on a farm, sun up to sundown. That's why I think the big issue for many women like this is that they grew up doing nothing. Everything was taken care of for them, air conditioning, refrigeration. They played with their friends. They went out to go, went to school and it was all social nonsense. And now they have to work. And now they're like, I can't. Oh, my heart is being ripped from my chest. Yeah. Human beings designed and built and trained not for survival, but for nothing. That's brutal, man. I'll leave it there. Next segment is coming up tonight at 8 p.m. over at youtube.com slash Timcast IRL. Thanks for hanging out and I'll see you all then. I saw this tweet by uh, Jack Posobiec, and he said, no refunds, Democrats. Joe Biden is what you get. And I'm like, right away, I'm like, no, 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 Jack, uh, refunds, refunds. Absolutely. Yo, if the left and Democrats, liberals came out and were like, we would like a refund on Joe Biden. I say, absolutely. Right this way, sir. You can take Joe Biden right out of the White House and Donald Trump will step right in. Refunds were always allowed. But I love videos like this, where this young man says, I'm not worried about a draft. Here's why. And it's a minute of him begging not to be drafted. Maybe a draft uh, will happen. Maybe it won't. The last draft was Vietnam. And uh, since then, we've been the all volunteer military force. Economics is a better way to recruit. However, the problem now is that the military is a bunch of woke, sad and pathetic and uninspiring uh, individuals in leadership. Young men no longer look at the armed forces as an honorable, I shouldn't say all young men, but many young men don't see an honorable career path, don't see any real incentive, no respect. And so the issue now we're facing is that recruitment is at, is, 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 I think it's what, like all time lows, or it's like, it's way, way down. I'll put it that way. Cause I don't, I don't know what the numbers are for sure. At the same time, we are looking at massive war and escalation in the Middle East. We need more cannon fodder. Well, how do we get it? And I, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to, to, to the ground troops, to the men and women in uniform. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that as a facetious way to explain how the military industrial complex and their deep state assets in government view you, the American people and the brave men and women in uniform. There's going to have to be a draft if we do enter World War Three, if we if we're facing war on four or five different fronts, global war. They're going to have to draft. That's it. There's nothing you can do about it. They'll say we have no choice. See, I view what the military is supposed to be are men and women who choose to take up the mantle, sacrificing so much, putting themselves at risk to give you the comfort that you live in. But that's not what the government does. That's not what these corporations do. They say bolster the numbers. They don't view you as a person who's making the sacrifice. Let me play this video for you and we'll break down this young man's absurd argument. I'm not worried about the draft. Oh, he's not, is he? Let's uh, let's see what he has to say. Okay, so five years of rent free living, free food and no responsibilities versus being immediately obliterated by an AK-47 the moment I set foot on that battlefield. Hmm. And that's if they can catch me because you think this draft occurs. I'm headed for the hills, baby. I know a place. It has everything I could possibly need except for electricity and cell service, which is going to be perfect because you won't be able to find me. Do I look like somebody who the authorities are going to be chasing after, hunting down because they need me? They need me to grab an assault weapon and go try to, like, save people's lives. Are you kidding me? Talk about a liability. Go find those people who are so, like, pro-Second Amendment and wear, like, 
freaking American flag thongs and all that shit. Like, go find them. They, they, they have a concealed carry anyway. They know what they're doing. They've, they've done the classes. Go find them. You don't want me fighting for this country. I promise you that. And you know it's... You know, the first thing that pisses me off is this guy. These people who vote for war and then say, send the people who voted against it. No, 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 buddy. No, 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 me. I'm about to turn 38 in a few months. Okay. In half a year, I'll be 30. I'm not about to turn 30, but I'm 37. 37 and a half. They ain't drafting me first, dude. It's you. And y'all vote for it. So I hope you're looking forward to it. And the best part is this guy's like, do you really need me with an AK-47? No. How about you drive the boat? How about you drive a truck? How about you move boxes from one one truck to another truck? Don't care what it is you're doing. But see, these people are not so bright. They seem to think that the army is quite literally nothing but men with guns running through the desert. Yo, there's a lot of jobs. Okay, you could be a cook. Someone's got to make food for other people. That's a job. Maybe you'll do construction. That's a job, too. Maybe you will uh, work on a boat and you'll do menial labor because someone's got to do it. When it comes to the draft, they're not talking about taking everybody, handing them a gun and saying, good luck. You're right. You're not going to be fighting. You're going to be cleaning latrines for the men who do the fighting. Get it? And I'm looking forward to seeing your face when they come knock on your door, because I can assure you this guy ain't going to the hills. Look, man, very few people go to the hills. If we can't even get anti-woke conservatives to move out of the cities, you think a liberal Democrat Gen Zer is going to go live in the mountains? Oh, please. They'll last three hours before they're like, I'm supposed to eat this. Come on, dude. Look, man. This guy's saying, go to the guys who's got the Second Amendment. They want to do this. Most of those guys already in the hills. And they're posting on the Internet and they're going to be like, come knock on my door, I guess. Nah, they're going to come to you first and they're going to say, don't worry. With basic training, we can get you in mopping shape in no time. You'll be able to clean those floors and pump gas for the real men who do the fighting. This is the funny thing about these leftists. And uh, and again, I'll stress, it's like they vote for Joe Biden. Not, but the liberals, not so much the leftists, right? The liberals who vote for Joe Biden push us to the brink of war and economic ruin and then whinge about it. But you know what? Hey, that's the cycle. I do blame uh, Patrick Bet David, man. He said this on uh, uh, Timcast in Miami. Amazing event. Uh, thank you all for, uh, for everybody who came. That uh, it's tolerant Christians who brought us to this point. I agree. You will you you tolerate this kind of behavior in your society, and this is what it leads to. Now, I am not advocating for uh, um, you know, like like uh, the draft or anything like that. What I'm saying is, as Ron Paul describes it, abortion shouldn't be illegal. It should be unthinkable. Well, there you go. I don't see why we tolerate these things. I'm not saying forcefully end it or jail. I'm saying you just have disdain for them. For a person like this, society should just laugh at him and say, we feel shame, cringe. We're embarrassed for you. 
and to encourage people not to be this way. Personal responsibility, hard work, meritocracy. If we had that, we wouldn't be staring down the barrel of World War III. We wouldn't have to worry about these drafts. Why? Because you'd have an honorable system with honorable people, an honorable military, an honorable Congress, people who strive to avoid unnecessary war and conflict. But something happens. This nation was dominated by Christians and they became also tolerant. And one step at a time, they allowed more and more corrupt individuals to get into power and then subvert this nation towards ill or malicious means. And this is where we are. The perfect example here, this young man who would advocate for policies that would result in war through blind ignorance, laziness and malice, and then argue they shouldn't have to bear the responsibility of their decisions. And that's an absurdity, but perhaps a natural consequence of human behavior. So what what happens next? As weak and ignorant individuals vote us into mass conflict and war, which results in mass death, they will be drafted and used to fight. And when they don't survive, it is the strong that do. Natural selection, call it what you will. Do you know why so many people are named Smith? Schmidt, Smith, and other names like that? In Europe, when there was war, the warriors who conquered would not execute the blacksmiths. They needed them. They made weapons. When rallying people to go to war, they would not conscript the blacksmiths. They needed them to stay behind to make weapons. You need a blacksmith building supplies in your village to supply the men who go fight and die. Are you wondering why many people don't have the last name like Warrior? Uh, John Warrior. It's because warriors die. Less likely to have kids. I don't know what the last name would be, but there probably are many last names that do reference war because many of the great warriors probably had a lot of kids, a lot of different ladies, if you know what I mean. But Smith, the Smiths would survive. They were important to the functioning of society. This guy, I don't know what he does. Perhaps he's a Smith. Perhaps he's an engineer. And maybe then he will survive. But when war happens, no matter what you want to be, attrition and the numbers don't lie. People who fight are less likely to have kids and the people who stay behind are more likely to have kids. And this dude is going to be sent to the front lines in two seconds. He's not going to flee to the woods. They're going to find him right away. He will be drafted. In the event that it happens. Me, I'm a little bit older, so my time will come later on. Eventually, the draft will come to people my age and then, you know, we'll see what happens. But it's going to be many of these young people leaning left who are the first in line. They're literally the first in line for that draft. And then we'll see how it plays out. We'll see what they really think politically. And maybe after a great war, they'll have a different view on whether or not they support these people who call for it. I'll leave it there. Next segment is coming up at uh, 6 p.m. Thanks for hanging out. And I'll see you all then.
If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com/audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com/audio. That's carshield.com/audio. 